Um, Today, we are going to continue through the Gospel of Mark. You know, I could really say this every Sunday. Not every Sunday, but um, today is one of my favorite passages. And I think it's one of my favorite because it's it's very dynamic. Um, You'll see what I mean in a minute. But it's like a prism, right? And this passage somehow brings out different a different light in Jesus, and it's really cool. By the way, I want to thank my home group. I don't know if you guys are here. You guys normally are in the back. Um, I, I got to say that there are so many different angles on this passage, and I was kind of struggling, and my home group didn't know this, but on Friday night, the study really helped me. I'm kind of repeating basically everything we talked about because it was so helpful. So uh, don't be surprised if I'm quoting you but not giving you credit. Okay. Um, <laughs> Verse 14, here is the word of God, here it is. And when they came to the disciples, this is uh, Jesus with his three disciples, they were on a mountaintop, so now they're coming back down the mountain. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out, they, they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that is the Word of God. Uh, I remember someone very wise and very old once asked if they had any regrets in life. That if they could do it all over again, would they do anything differently? And this old, wise man said, without hesitation, yes, I would have made more mistakes. And they were surprised at his response And so they asked him why, and he said, the greatest lessons I have learned have been from my failures. Don't you think it's true that there are certain things in life that are best learned or can only be learned through failure, right? True? Now, in this passage, this is what is happening to the disciples. Three of them got to go up to the mountaintop 
to be with Jesus, and they saw him transfigured in beautiful, amazing, heavenly glory. And that was an unforgettable moment for them. But now, I want you to consider this. There's 12 of you. Three of you get to go. Nine of you don't. You're at the base of the mountain. You're probably thinking, what about us? If they were my kids, I can hear the complaint right now. That's not fair. I'm going to argue that Jesus was also giving them an unforgettable moment in the form of an invaluable, unforgettable lesson. And I would also say on a personal note, this is one of the most powerful, life-changing lessons that I have learned myself. All right here in the text. All right, there are four scenes in this text. Um, I've given them different names. The first two I just read for you. Scene one, the frustrating crowds and the disciples' failure. Scene two, the desperate man and his moving confession. Scene three, Jesus saves the boy. Scene four, the invaluable lesson for the disciples. All right, would you all um, just pray with me? I'm going to pray again. Uh, Father, you know that this morning I, I had this prayer. Like there's a lot of different components to today, probably for all of us. But, but for me, I just felt like if I can have this one thing, I'll be okay. Just as long as Jesus is with me. And whatever we do, like in this hour, we do it together. We do it by his power, not by my own. Just as Pam was saying, not by eloquence, I really don't have much. But speak to your people here in these these bright lights. Speak your word and encourage people for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, Now, uh, this morning, uh, I I was uh, with um, some other people and we we were doing prayer. It was a little bit more like prophetic prayer. And I, I had... Um, an image that was kind of confirmed. It has to do with this text, and so I'm doing a little bit of an aside, okay? Um, This, what I'm about to say, this message, I'm not really focusing on that, but it's like the most obvious thing, you know? And I don't want to miss the most obvious thing, okay? The most obvious thing right now about this passage is talking about a spiritual world that overlays this physical world. So we're talking of a spiritual world where there are angels and demons and spirits, and God himself is spirit, by the way, right? So um, this message really isn't about that, but I, but I, I feel like I, should, I need to put this inside. Um, it's interesting. How is it that in a given church, we don't see like a demon possess someone and they're like convulsing on the floor? Um, okay, uh, let me just talk about some of these big general questions. I do believe that in America, Satan has a different strategy from in other places like maybe Taiwan, okay? And in, in America, because a lot of people don't even believe in this overlay of a spiritual world, and because they don't believe, I think Satan has a very different strategy. It's a lot more covert, right? Whereas in other countries, it's a lot more overt, And I think this is the reason why. If demons manifest, then people will make connections. Oh, demons, spiritual world, angels, oh, there must be a God. 
But if people don't even believe in that whole spiritual world, that's not do anything overt. Okay, does this mean that stuff like this that we're immune to? No, 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 no. I think the most common activity of Satan, if you go to Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3, is in the form of what? And he's still doing this today in every culture, in every context, lies. He comes, where's the battlefield? It's not convulsing your body. It's the battlefield of your mind. No, no, again, the passage doesn't really go into that. I'm not going to go into it that much. I'm I'm just like, I got to just cover this quickly, right? I, I bet you for a lot of people, Satan is just feeding you lies, and a lot of people are buying into those lies. And the warfare is not necessarily cast out the demon from my physical body, but it's doing battle with Satan in the battlefield of your mind. Okay, that's a different message. We'll do that some other time. And I feel like I've covered what God wanted me to cover. Um, but scene one, two, three, and four. And so let's go. Now, Jesus and the three of his disciples coming down the mountain. Things are not going so well down the mountain. The nine who are left behind at the base of the mountain, they meet a father who is very desperate for help. His son is tormented by a demon, suffers from convulsions, engages in self-destructive behavior. It kind of looks a little bit like epilepsy. Not a little bit, a lot. And so this man is looking for Jesus, and Jesus doesn't seem to be around, but but there are some of his disciples, so he goes up to some of his disciples, and of course he's going to say, you know, where is Rabbi Jesus? Oh, well, he went up to the mountain top. We don't know how long he's going to be gone. But can we help you? Yeah, uh, well, um, you see, my son, and this demon is, is killing my son. Now, <clears throat> I just want you to know that three chapters ago, the disciples were sent on a missions trip. And Jesus gave them authority to cast out demons, okay? Now, they were like casting out demons for the very first time, and they came back, and they were so excited because even demons, demons were obeying them, and they had authority over demons, and it was such an amazing experience. Okay, so this this father comes up to them and says, well, you know, where's Jesus? He's up there. Can you help me? I imagine the disciples are looking at each other like, well, you know, we actually have some experience with this. Yeah, I think we can help you. Why don't you bring your son over here? And so I just want you to imagine this scene, okay? The, the, the boy comes up front and center. And then I just imagine maybe the, the nine kind of gather around uh, the, the boy. I don't know who is the leader now that Peter's not there uh, maybe it's Thomas, maybe it's Philip, maybe it's Andrew. I like to think it's Andrew, but, you know, it, we don't know, right? Okay, so maybe it's Philip, and he goes, okay, you guys ready? Just like three chapters ago, and they're looking at the boy, and they're looking, they're looking like into the boy, and they're like, demon, be gone. Be gone. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a demon of, of, of mutinous, so um, can you... Can you can you talk? He can't talk. Philip, like, okay, no, let me try. Let me try. Demon, get out of him. 
get out, get out. That's not working. Okay, um, Holy, you know, remember when Jesus would do it and he would use the hand? Do the hand and say it louder. Demon, be gone. Louder, gone, gone. Can you talk? Do it, do it King James versions. Here do I, dither, do cast thee out, O demon, from this lad. You know, it's not working. I, I just, I how long are they doing this, right? It's just not, not working. Try, try, try this, try this, try this, try this. It's not working. Now, I can, you can imagine, this is very embarrassing. This is not the disciples in their finest hour. And, and get this, they're doing this in front of a crowd of people, and, and <laughs> there are some religious leaders, probably sent from the Sanhedrin, and they're sent with a commission to try to prove this movement false. And so you imagine there's these scribes, and this, this is the opportunity they've been looking for. And so they start to speak, and they start to criticize, and they start to attack. Now, the disciples, they're embarrassed by their public failure. So instead of caring for the boy, I can imagine they grow defensive. And they start getting in this big religious argument, now trying to show in rhetoric what they could not show in power. And this big fight is really entertaining the crowds. And now, thank God, Jesus enters into the scene. The people are so engrossed in the argument, you know, the back and forth, the back and forth, that he kind of catches them off guard. Oh, Jesus is here. And Jesus says, hey, what are, you, what are you all talking about? The father and the crowd. Remember, it's about the father and his son speaks up. I, I brought my son to you, and you weren't here. So I, I brought him to your disciples. My son, tormented by a spirit that makes him mute, and sometimes it throws him to the ground in these fits, in these convulsions, and maybe there's fire or the water, and, and the demon is trying to kill my son. And so I, I brought my son to your disciples. You imagine him shaking his head like, your disciples. And they could not do anything for me. Now, I want you to imagine, like, he's like, your disciples, you know, and Jesus, Jesus is going to look at his disciples and the disciples are all staring at their feet. Um, I don't know about you, but whenever I feel like I'm having a conversation and I just feel like failure and shame, my head, it's like a switch, just goes boop, like that. There, there was this one time where I was having this conversation with someone, and like Raina was on the other end of that, and she wasn't listening, but she just saw my head go boop, and then she was like, oh, this is not a good conversation that Andrew is having. What is clear to everyone, the disciples have really failed. First question I want to ask you is, what do you think they did wrong? That's my question to you. What do you think they did wrong? Okay? Now, now wait, wait, wait a second. Someone, someone's like, someone, like, there's always a Hermione in every church, right? Like, you know, I, I've read the, the end they didn't pray. You know, okay, yes, yes, yes. But go deeper. Go deeper than that. Well, you know, go deeper than that. Now, what I want you to do is turn to a neighbor, okay, 
and I want you to give them like your, your 20 second explanation. What did they do wrong fundamentally? Deep, go deeper. Ready? Go. Okay, and have the other person share. Okay, the, the fundamental question is, what contributes to prayerlessness? Like, like Pam was up here giving us an excellent model of A, C, T, S. Maybe most of us like, actually have heard of that model, right? It's really, really helpful. Then the, really the fundamental question is like, okay, well, you, you know what? That's great. Are you using it? No, not really. Why? What causes someone to say, I'm going to spend one hour with God. I'm going to spend 30 minutes with God. I'm going to, I'm going to, I, 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 I want to pray. Now, don't get me wrong. I just want to name it as clearly as I see it. Isn't it arrogance? Self-reliance? The disciples have no idea how helpless they really are. They're facing a level 10 demon, and they think they can cast it out by the right method, the right words, the right skill, the right eloquence. If I do this with a hand, with their own power, really. And I want you to imagine Jesus turning to Andrew and Philip and Thomas and the rest of the guys and just saying, hey, hey guys, do you really think you can face a level 10 demon by yourselves? Do you, I mean, really? Okay. Now I want you to imagine Jesus turning to the, the rest of us, all of us, and say, hey, guys, church, love you, love you. Do you really think you can take on all the evil and suffering in this life by yourselves? I mean, if you really know how helpless you are and how much God is for you, then wouldn't you spend every morning saying, God, I need this time with you because I need you for the whole day through. I don't want to do this day without you. I I can't do this day without you. It's that fundamental understanding that, God, I can do nothing without you today. I don't want to do this day without you. Help me be with me. I want to be close to you. And from that closeness, we will face these challenges together. Your leadership, my obedience. And then, and then, and then we go through the day and hour by hour, Lord, I need you. You're here with me now. Let's do this day together. Scene two. And so Jesus says to the father, bring me your boy. And the father does so. Now, I want you to get this. Don't, don't miss this. This demon is so nasty, so aggressive, that once he sees Jesus, okay, in, in, in front of Jesus, like he is so defiant and so nasty, that the demon just wants to, like in front of Jesus, just squeeze this boy in front of, of Jesus. Throw him on the ground and just like put his foot on him, right? So in full defiance, in your face, 
He forces the boy into this violent convulsion, and, and the boy just drops to the floor. Now, I just want you to imagine this scene, okay? The, the boy and the demon through the boy sees Jesus, falls to the floor in these violent convulsions, okay? I mean, it's very graphic, and he starts foaming at the mouth. Now, now just imagine this scene. Where do you think the father is? Like, if you were a father in this scene, where would you be? Oh, look, there's my boy. You wouldn't do that. Now, I, I, I'm a dad. My son goes down, I'm going down with my son, right? So I'm basically going to like hold my son in my arms on the floor, okay? And now Jesus is seeing all this, and if I know that Jesus is right, it doesn't say, but I'm just, I'm just kind of reading in between lines. I imagine Jesus kind of kneeling down and looking at the father in the eye and saying, what I think a good doctor would say, how long has this been going on? Now, Jesus is a good doctor. He's diagnosing the problem. Is this a big problem or is this a small problem? This is this a level three demon or a level uh, 10 demon? And then the father says, um, it's been happening ever since childhood. It's been going on for a long time. And so Jesus, okay, this is like a level 10 demon. Ah, uh, by the way, the father thinks that this is a demon just of mutinous. But when you see what Jesus does, you know it's more than just mutinous. It's also deafness. This problem is bigger than you think, Right? Now, I want you to see what happens next. This is very critical. This is very important in the conversation. The father is going to beg Jesus for help. Notice how he begs. He says, But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help us. You know, Sometimes the, the state of your soul and your faith can be expressed in just one word. And I feel like Jesus picks up on that one word. Do you know which word I'm talking about? But if you can do it, but if, but if, if, did you say if? Did, did, you, did you say if? Oh, I'm sorry, did I say if? I... I meant since, since you can do, too late. The state of my faith has already been revealed by one word. So the father says, if you can do anything, and Jesus picks up on the word and he says, if, if I can, if you can. And, and then he says, all things are possible for one who believes. All things are possible for one who believes. Now, Jesus, in a way, is coming back with an if of his own. You see that? The man says, help me if it's possible. And Jesus says, all things are possible if you believe. In other words, the deciding issue here is not, can I do this for you? The deciding issue is, can you believe? Or put it in another way, the limiting factor here is not my power my unfathomable power that created the universe, that's not an issue here. It's not the limiting factor here. The limiting factor is your faith. Now, <clears throat> I want to give you a very simple paraphrase of what I see happening here. I want you to imagine Jesus going, in order for this miracle to happen, desperate father, I want you to give me this much faith. Now, can you give me this much faith? 
Can, can you give me this much faith? And I, I imagine that the father looking at that, you know, and going and looking, looking at, and, you know, and then looking and no, right? Not really. What does he say? He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I do believe, but I'm so full of doubts. But I want to believe, but I'm so full of doubts. I believe, but then doubts right there with me. Can you help me? Can you help me in this situation? I, I want to. Help me. So, you know, like, imagine Jesus saying, can you give me this much faith? And the man's like, no, I, I can't, but Jesus, you know what I can do? I can give you this much faith. And then can you just kind of, like, make up the difference? Can we do that? Now, I, I want you to imagine that this is, like, a bad illustration, okay? Um, you ever go to the gym, and then there's the bench press? Amen? You guys with me? And then I just want you to imagine Jesus is at the gym, and he's like, you know, he's like this, uh, this, this physical trainer, and you're at the bench press, he's like, okay, now I want you to take this bar off the rack, and I want you to give me one, just give me one, one, what do you, I don't even know what you call it, you, it's like a, a press, a lift, what is it? It's a, it's a rep. Is that it? Okay, just give me one. I just want you to go to the bench, just whoo, right? And the guy's like, and he's looking at the bar, he's looking at the 45, the 45, he's like, I don't, I don't think I can do it, but I, I, this is what I can do. I can go, and I can lift it halfway, and then Jesus, can you just like spot me and grab it, and just whoo, the rest of the way? <clears throat> There's a lot of tension in this question. Why is this man's faith so iffy? I bet you he has a story. I bet you he has a story. I imagine him saying, this is my boy. And he's had this condition for so long. Every morning I pray and say, God, please deliver him. And the days go by, the weeks go by, the years go by, nothing. And you know, there's, there's, there's holy men around who do faith healing, and I've taken my boy to one holy man and to another, nothing. And then I heard about you. I heard you were special. You were on the mountain, so I asked your disciples. They tried it out. They failed in spectacular fashion. But what more is like, then it became this circus, and now my boy is convulsing and foaming, and it's like a freak show. So my faith is not at an all-time high right now. I do believe, but I also have unbelief. Can you please help me? I want you to imagine a mom who has miscarried two times and is now pregnant and wants to live by faith. And so she prays, Lord, I believe you. I believe you can protect this baby. You can do all things but I'm just struggling with a lot of doubts. Can you bring your doubts to Jesus? Can you say, I know you want this much, I got this much, can you make up the rest? Can you do that? Isn't that cheating? A lot rides on how Jesus responds. Now, you imagine Jesus could stand very tall and say, 
I am the glory of God in human form. Put your faith in me. Get rid of all your doubts. And when you have done this, when you have done this, come talk to me. We'll heal your, we'll heal your boy. Jesus is a king. He is well within his right to say that. And I, if he did say that, I guess it would just make him less accessible. That's all. Do I need to get my act together before I come to Jesus? Do I need to arrive before he'll help me? Can I come to him as a hot mess? Not that I'm hot. I mean, can I just come to him as a mess? I'm not even hot. Can I come to him as a mess? Can I bring my mess? Can I come to him with my contradictions and my doubts and my fears and my anxieties? Can I come to him as I am? Scene three and scene four. Verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Do you guys see the irony? The disciples think they can do it. They depend on their own strength, not in prayer, and they can't, and they fail. And here is Jesus like with this desperate father. You need this much faith. And the guy's like, I can't. Will you help me? And then Jesus gets the job done. There are all these different characters in this narrative, the disciples, the man, the scribes, the crowds, but one figure in this entire scene is acknowledging weakness and admitting that he can't do it by himself. He doesn't have what it takes. One figure is praying a prayer of dependency on God, and it's the Father, and that's the prayer that gets it done. Wow. Because it is faith not based on what he can do. It is faith based on what Jesus can do. That is saving faith. It is faith that realizes I cannot handle the evil and the suffering of this world on my own. So every day I pray, every hour I pray, God, I need you. I can't do this day without you. I can do nothing without you. And I wonder if the disciples would reflect on this time and say, you know, we had to learn the hard way. But I'll tell you, we never forgot it. We failed in such spectacular fashion. We thought we could do it by ourselves. We learned the hard way that evil and challenges and demons and suffering, there is no way we can face these without the power of God. And so we pray, we pray. How can we help but not pray? 
This is one of my favorite passages. I'm hoping that in the articulation of this, you kind of see why. In this passage, I see the grace of Jesus. It's beautiful. A desperate father admits he doesn't have what it takes. He asks for help. Jesus helps him. Now, here is the big story for all of us. Let me connect this on a larger scale. It's like Jesus going, the Father needs this much holiness from you to enter into heaven. Okay, imagine that. The Father needs this much holiness from you to enter into heaven. And we're like looking at this, we're like looking at this and like, no, what I got is like barely scraping the bottom. It's like 0.0001%. Can you make up the difference? And Jesus says, that's exactly why I'm going to the cross. I'm making up for your difference. So that when Jesus, when God sees you, he sees all of Jesus and his righteousness. That's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's so much a part of this story. So, do you have to have your act together before you come to Jesus? You can come to Jesus just as you are. Your faith, your doubts, all of yourself, your contradictions, come as you are. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is gracious. Jesus is always accessible. And he's yours to call on. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I'm going to invite you guys now just to have a couple minutes just to respond. Is there some stuff in your heart that you just want to bring to Jesus? Like, bring all of yourself. Bring your faith. Bring your doubt. Bring your contradictions. And just talk to him. I'm going to give you like a couple minutes just to do that. Now, if, if you want, you can go ahead and stand. If you want, you can go ahead and remain seated. But this, these two minutes are for you to bring your real self to Jesus and just talk to him. You can do that quietly. You can do that in a whisper. We're going to be playing some music, but this is time for you just to bring yourself, your real self, to the Lord Jesus. And in a couple minutes, I'll close us in prayer. Father, you alone know the state of our faith. So we don't have to pretend. 
We can come to you as the Father did and say, no, I do believe, but I have doubts. Please help my unbelief. Father, I have challenges in this day, and I can't make it without you. The one thing that we want is we want you. We want your help. We want your presence. We want to be close to you. Help us to be a church that enjoys you and knows the resources that come through an abiding relationship with you in prayer. We believe. Help our unbelief. And I thank you so much, Jesus, that you didn't rebuke the man or resist his prayer. But you are a God who is gentle and gracious and you helped him. And that gives us confidence that you're going to help us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray.